0: How many of you have ever been to Yellowstone Park? Raise your hand if you've been to Yellowstone Park. Okay. Um, So they're the grizzly bears in Yellowstone Park. And they often come to eat at the place where the garbage is dumped. In hopes that you left something delicious that they can partake in. And so these huge bears who can fight and beat almost any animal in the West and all of us go and they eat at the garbage dump, and they are, they're the top of the food chain at Yellowstone Park. But there is one animal that the grizzly bear will not go head-to-head with. And in fact, this animal is, is kind of small, seemingly defenseless, could be squashed by the bear pretty easily, but the bear leaves it alone, won't even mess with it. Can you guess what animal it is? it's a skunk. It's a skunk. And here's why. The grizzly bear knows the cost of getting even with the skunk. (laughs) So he says, I'll just share a little bit of my garbage with you. How much can you possibly eat? He knows that if he tangles with this skunk, he will have months to remember it by. He will be sprayed by this awful smell, and he will have to deal with the stink of his victory. (laughs) Yes, he will be victorious, but he will have to deal with the stink of it. He will remember that for a long time. So the bear leaves it alone, won't even mess with it. Unforgiveness is like a skunk. Getting even, living in revenge, staying bitter... You can do those things, but they come at a very high cost. It's a victory, but you also have to live with the stink. Sometimes we feel like it's a victory. It's not in the supernatural, but we may feel like we got even. We got the revenge that we were looking for, but we have to live with the consequences of that. So last week, we started this series on Easter Sunday called Get Your Hopes Up, and as Quint mentioned, we passed out devotionals, and if you didn't get yours, you can get yours in the lobby on your way out, and we also kind of did some extra comment, like bonus material if you're interested, and you can find that on our podcasts on the website. We just really want, we want to be uh, in your life every day of the week. We know that you only come one time on Sundays, but, or, and hopefully maybe on Wednesdays, but we wanna, we wanna be in your life every day of the week, and so we created these things that can really get your hopes up every single day, when Monday comes, when Tuesday comes, when Wednesday comes. And one of the core values of Very First is life change. And so this series, why we chose to talk about this is because we're talking about how hope changes our life. Getting our hopes up brings life change. And so specifically the title of this week is called Breaking Chains, and that also corresponds with the the week of devotionals that you hopefully read. And hope is found when the chains that we have are broken. When the chains that we have, when the things that are weighing us down are released, hope is found when we let them go. Now, I want to settle this first before we dive into the scripture about this. God does not need you to break the chains for him. God does not need you to figure out how to wiggle out from underneath the chains or cover up the stink of the skunk. God does not need you to figure out a plan to eliminate the pain and the frustration in your life. He has it handled. Somebody came to church today and needs to hear that. He has it handled. He has it handled, and he knows what we need more than we know. Chains, they come in shapes and sizes and causes, but, but the specific thing I want to address today are the chains that we take on because we have unforgiveness or because we're offended. Now, some of you might say, yeah, okay, I can click off now because I'm good. I don't have any, I'm not mad at anybody currently, I'm not in a feud. But the truth is that the occasions to take offense are endless. Daily, we're given the opportunity to be offended In Target, you're going to be offended. People are ruthless in there. They want to get in line and get out as fast as they can. As humans, we naturally hurt each other. I don't know why. It takes a lot of work to get along. And these offenses range from kind of like slight annoyances, like that was frustrating, to these deep, bottomless wounds that can just completely tie us up and bound us up for for a long time. But the trajectory of your spiritual life is absolutely determined by your response to these offenses. Whether they're small and annoying or bottomless and heavy, the health of your spirit can be measured on how well you deal with someone offending you. So here's the takeaway for today. No matter what the culture says, there is no weakness in forgiveness. There is no weakness in forgiveness. That doesn't make you soft. That doesn't make you not a leader. That doesn't make you uh, not somebody who can, who can just take on life and stand up for your family and hold your rights. There is no weakness in forgiveness. In fact, I would like you to, to think about this today, that I believe forgiveness is probably the strongest thing a person can do. In fact, I think forgiveness is so strong, forgiveness is so powerful, that it literally breaks the chains that we have of bondage and of brokenness. Just forgiveness, forgiveness is the thing that breaks the chains off of our life. So I want to talk today about what does God say about forgiveness. Let's just start there. What does he say? Well, in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, a scapegoat, so, so a goat that they would set aside, was symbolically laid in with all the sins of the people of Israel. And they did this once a year. And so they said a year's worth of sin were symbolically saying that this goat represents that. And then they lead the goat away into the wilderness to customarily explain this goat is taking all our sins, all our pain, all our shame, all our brokenness, all the things that we don't want to talk about anymore, we don't want to deal with, this goat is taking it into the wilderness to go be part of the wilderness and and be gone forever. And then they chose another goat who was chosen by lottery, who was sacrificed, symbolizing the need for a substitute to die in the sinner's place. And in the Old Testament, they did this because it perfectly foreshadowed Jesus' once-for-all-time work as our sin-bearer. It showed there was a substitute, and it took the sin into the wilderness for us never to have to deal with again. Totally forgotten. And so in the Old Testament, and then again in the New Testament, when we see on Good Friday the, the, the pain and the agony that... Jesus had when he, when he died on the cross in the way that even a holy God had to leave him for a moment so that he could substitute for us. We see that forgiveness means that God buries our sin and does not mark the grave. That, that God doesn't bury the hatchet and leave the handle out. So he can come back and and, and use it against us. He he completely buries it. He he sends the goat into the wilderness to never be seen again. He sacrifices the goat as a substitute. He, He hangs his son on a cross. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he put away sin. He put away guilt and defilement and penalty. Gone forever, sacrificed as a substitute for us. And we see this amazing act of forgiveness and we live in this grace And we sang about it today, and and we live in it once and for all. As far as the east is from the west, our sin is vanquished. Did we deserve it? No. Did Did we earn it? Not at all. But we got it, this radical grace that God affords us. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you live this reality every day. How many of you are thankful for God's grace? You're thankful for that. All right. So we got that. That's what God says about what forgiveness is. That's what God did for us. So here's what the scripture says. Buckle up, okay? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's Ephesians 4.32. Matthew 6.15 says, but if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sin. God is saying to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And he shows us that his love and grace was so deep and so wide and so um, unreasonable. And then he says, treat the other people in your life the same way. Don't answer this out loud, but how much has God forgiven you How many times did you have to go back to God with the same thing? God, here I am again, just dealing with this again. I'm sorry. I'll try to do better. I don't even know if I want to try to do better, actually, so help me want to try to do better. And we're in this cycle. How many failures has God had to bail you out from? How many times did you earn a friendship or a relationship to be broken because of the this ridiculous thing you did, but by the grace of God, he allowed that relationship to stay intact. The scripture is so clear here that when we are stingy with our forgiveness, when we withhold our or hang on to our rights or our entitlements, that we are not forgiving the way God has forgiven us. And when we hang on to that little annoyance or or lick that wound of offense that we are not extending this radical grace that God extended to us. Forgiveness and this grace that God gives us—it's so profound, it's so sweeping. In fact, I want to bring us to Peter, First um, Peter three nine. If this fir- if that first those verses hurt you, just this one. This one's even going to like be more painful. All right, it says, "Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary." Or pay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So, so here it's talking about how you deal with a person who is not repenting. What do you do with a person who isn't sorry at all? This verse describes a person who doesn't even recognize how they wronged you. Maybe they were even glad that they were doing it. They're glad that they're causing you pain. They're glad that you're suffering. God says, this is how you treat them. Bless them. Which is a verb. It's an active word. It doesn't mean ignore them, get them out of your life so that you never have to deal with them again. It says, bless them. This is not talking about when someone comes to you and and, and they're sorry and you're sorry and you have like this hugging moment and I forgave them and and that's so great and and you apologize and you walk away and the relationship is restored. That's important too. But this is actually talking about the person who will not admit or understand how they hurt you. Maybe someone or a group of people that chose to even hurt you on purpose. Jesus says that is going to happen. And in this situation, being a Christ follower commands us to choose not to be the punisher. This is the perfect scenario where we can be set apart from the entire culture because the culture would expect or accept us accept us to, to treat someone poorly who has treated us poorly or to, to snuff them out or to not have a reaction, but we must treat these people better than they deserve, almost as if we hadn't been hurt. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but... I'm mad. Like, where do my emotions fit into this? It's not like once you start following Jesus, all of that goes away, and all of a sudden you're just kumbayaing all the time, right? That's not actually how it is. Is God saying you can't feel hurt, you can't feel brokenhearted? How is this fair? How, how do you even do this as a human being when someone hurts you so badly or hurts your family that you bless them? How is that even possible, And I think the question to ask here is this, is God enough? Is God enough? Because God is our merciful high priest. He feels what we feel. God sees you crying in your bed at night, even if no one else ever does. God sees you rush to your car when you leave a situation because you're your heart is broken so no one sees you and what you say to him in that moment. God sees what your heart feels like. God knows you've been insulted and treated unjustly and cheated. He is sympathetic and he is attentive. But is it enough for only God to know? When we have let others know what we've endured and what our offenses are and how how unfair we've been treated we are literally showing that it isn't enough for just God to know that I need other people to to uh, validate that I've been hurt I need other people to know how bad that person is I need other people to understand that that, that this is not fair and this, this organization is broken. This team of people is broken. This is happening. I need everyone else to know because I need to validate. And God is saying, am I enough? Because I know. I know more than you can ever express. I know how you feel on your darkest moment, and I know how you feel when you're, when you're doing okay. Is it enough for God to know our sorrow? Is it enough for God to know our pain, our disappointment, our frustration? Can we move forward treating others better than they treat us, even if it means only God knows and nobody else? This is how real God must become to us. That we know that when the culture says revenge, God says release. He's got it. He hears your pain, He knows your cry. And he's not doing nothing about it. He is, he is doing what only he can do in the most just way because he is full of just and full of mercy. So why is God so serious about forgiveness? I mean, he, he, he gives us some very real love your enemies. Uh, if you don't forgive, I, I can't forgive you. He gives us some very real um, guidelines on forgiveness. It, it's, it's no you know, easy, quick thing to, to accomplish. Why is he so serious about it? Well, I was reading in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they're about to be led out of Egypt. They're about to go into the promised land. And uh, the Lord says, on the eve of your departure, uh, eat a Passover meal with bitter herbs. He says, make it bitter. And these, these herbs would be a reminder of the bondage that they experienced. And God wanted them to remember uh, what that felt like so they didn't go back there. They are about to get released. They are about to go into the promised land. But God said, I want you to remember what it was like. So have your last meal and make it very bitter. And and, and this kind of bitter taste was associated with bondage. And this is the message God was sending to the Israelites. If you want to avoid bondage, avoid bitterness. If you want to avoid bondage, avoid bitterness. Because in Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, it speaks about bitterness. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The root of bitterness contaminates and defiles not only the one who is bitter, but the whole camp. All others around them. In my mind's eye, if I was uh, personifying bitterness, in my mind it's like sticky. In fact, this kind of flashback from my childhood. I don't know. Do you have that picture? This is how it feels. (laughs) Bitterness, it's like this sticky uh, it, it, it just infects you like as much as you try to wiggle out of it one hand then your foot gets stuck and then you're trying to, to get your body out of it and then both your, your hand and your foot get stuck it, it tends to just stick us and in fact it attracts other people who are caught in the sludge too and then all of a sudden you're all just in the acme glue just together together Trying to get each other out, but you're just sticking to each other. And a bitter heart tends to go around and find others to to pull into bitterness. It feels good. It feels good to complain and lament with someone else who feels the same way you do. And you find this kind of solidarity that you both believe the boss was mean to you or that your family member is deceptive or your friend is selfish. Bitterness is sticky. It's, It's tricky. It's sticky. And if you want to avoid bondage, avoid acme glue. Avoid bitterness. Because once you get in there, once you get stuck in there, and then you pull some other people in with you, (laughs) after this, you get hit by a truck. I mean, that's pretty much how Looney Tunes always ends, right? I don't know. When you forgive, it's like untying the chains that bind you up. It's like getting free from the glue. It's it's getting unstuck. And I believe that Jesus is so serious about forgiveness because he knows that that bitterness keeps us in bondage. Also, unforgiveness steals our anointing. Anointing is God's power. It's this ability that we have to to do things easily that otherwise might be hard. It's the things that God has given to you specifically for you to do. It's your mission. It's, It's the thing that God wants you to accomplish. And I believe that the enemy will attack you constantly because he wants you bound up in bitterness and resentment and offense because this will just shut down your ministry. It'll shut down your anointing. Because you cannot be unforgiving and offended and still have anointing. You cannot have strife in your relationships and friendships and family and still have anointing. And in fact, if you're in the place that God wants you, the devil will try to offend you to get you out. If you are in the place that God wants you, the devil will try to offend you to get you out because he wants to uproot men and women from the place where God plants them because if he can get you out, he has been successful. He shut down your ministry. And so if you quit going to Bible study or church or you quit giving or you quit on a friendship because you're offended or or you quit investing in a family because you're not getting the response that that you want back, you have been caught in the glue and you have been defeated by the weight of chains and your ministry is suffering. And God wants our ministries to thrive. He he wants so much, the personal things he's given us to do to thrive, that he is so serious about forgiveness. And I believe that he says, in the midst of great conflict and great offense, if you will not budge into bitterness, you will spoil the enemy's plans. And he will be able to grow out of those relationships and out of those situations something so much bigger and so much more beautiful than you could have ever done yourself. So we've talked about the what and the why. I just want to end today with talking about the how. So how, how do we break the chains of unforgiveness? Um, Corey Ten Boom told this story and it was so powerful to me that she was talking about how she couldn't uh, forget about a wrong that had been done to her she felt like she had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident. And she couldn't sleep. And she said, um, a pastor told her this story, and it really helped her. And the, the pastor said this, Up in the church tower is a bell, which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps swinging. First ding, then dong. Slower and slower, until there's a final dong and it stops. He said, I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, so we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. I believe that when you choose to forgive someone, all of your emotions might not go away overnight you make sure that you just release the rope. Release the rope. And once you let go of the rope, once you forgive as Christ forgave you, the ding-dong of the old thinking will slow down. And eventually, that will be released from you. You may have to declare your forgiveness a hundred times the first day and the second day. But the third day might be 99 And each day after that, until one day you realize that you have forgiven completely, and then you can pray for the other person's wholeness. Most people, we have to remember, are not against us, they're not trying to offend us, they're just for themselves. We all tend to be that way. We have sort of this nature of this broken world to fight for our own agendas and and things from our own corners of the room. But I want to let you know, the more that you pay attention to the offense, the more strength you give it. You have to stop talking about it. You have to. You have to stop talking about it. And then you have to commit to Jesus, repent of anything you did wrong, and move forward, and don't stay stuck very long. There's a saying uh, that that goes like this, if someone hurts you, cry a river, then build a bridge and get over it. And that'll preach right there. The worst team is going to come and uh, we're going to get ready to respond. When we carry around the chains of unforgiveness, we lose hope. I think a lot of times we 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 don't know why we're so down or frustrated or, or or low or feeling in the pit, but but then we we don't connect the fact that the fact that we haven't forgiven someone or the fact that we're offended is really weighing us down. And and sometimes we don't even have the hope that Jesus can forgive our own failures. And that's because maybe you haven't forgiven someone else. We need hope that we can heal from the pain of being hurt. There's this uh, story, um, a Spanish story of a father and a son who had become estranged and the son ran away and the father went out to find him and, and he searched for months, but he couldn't find him. And so finally, in this last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper and the ad said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And on Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up, (laughs) looking for forgiveness, looking for love from their fathers. The culture says, protect yourself. Don't let people walk all over you. Fight for your right. Show them who's boss. You'll show them. Plan your reaction. Plan your revenge. But when we are hurt, the culture says revenge, but God says the exact opposite. God says release. Let go of the rope. Release. So here's how I want to end today. If you're new because you maybe visited on Easter and you're here today, I hope you are. And from time to time, we have this sort of extended time at the altar here at this church. And, and it's not mandatory. If you, if you don't want to participate, that's okay. But, but for those of us who call this church home, there's nothing magical about this space. But a lot of times the act of obedience to come down front is what shifts something inside of us. Nod your head if you're like, yeah, that's happened to me before. It's it's sort of that moment. It's that physical act of taking a step forward that changes something inside of us. And so if we're really being honest with ourselves, every single person here has someone or some small offense of hurt that they have to let go of. Even if it's the person in front of you on Peach Street that just couldn't, you know, drive fast enough. Like we have something. So this opportunity I'm about to show to you applies to everyone. There's no judgment. If you come down here, we're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, she's really hurt. That's all we're going to do. Just this moment in time, as Quint said, we want to grow. We want to keep growing. We want to keep getting our hopes up. So we're going to sing this song. It's really simple. It's called Break Every Chain. Break every chain of offense. Break every chain of unforgiveness. And we're going to ask God to truly help us forgive the people who hurt us. And so I just want to invite you, um, would you stand? And I want to invite you to come down here and even just to sing this song, even if it's precautionary. God, I'm not offended, but I might be. (sighs) I might get offended later. And I need to make sure that I wiggle out of that, that glue, that I don't hang on to those chains because I want to get my hopes up. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing this song together. Father God, I thank you that your grace is so radical, God. I thank you that your grace is so um, is so free that it just offers us this freedom that there's nothing we have to do to earn it. And so I pray that the forgiveness we're going to extend to others, that they will not ever have to earn it. God, that we aren't waiting for them to say they're sorry, that we're not waiting for them to get their act together. God, we are just simply extending the same grace that you poured on us to other people. A friend shared with me this week about a, a vision that God had given her that, uh, she had some unforgiveness in her heart and, and it, it kind of sh- was shown to her like an infected hand and so God I pray right now for any of these infections, these things that we've been carrying on Lord that, that, that have just held us back, that have made us frustrated with people, that have made us depressed or have anxiety or low God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would wash out all of that infection in Jesus name and even right now God you would do a healing but Lord it's because we let go of the rope <laughs> That we are not intending to get revenge on anyone, God. That we don't need anything from anyone else. We can live free of bondage and free of bitterness. In Jesus' name, do something significant here today. God, we, we won't move until you do it. And Lord, we trust you in Jesus' name. Would you sing this with us this morning? There is God.
1: Sing that again. there. There is power in the name of Jesus.
0: could forgive those who offend us, Lord, that it would not steal our anointing, God, that we could live free in, in forgiveness and freedom. God, do the work, complete the work that you've started here today. We're trusting you. In Jesus' name.